Heaven and hell, the destination of the journey. Last week we talked about how the destination should influence the journey. How the destination focuses on how you prepare for it. How the destination determines what road you take. These are all ideas that were brought to light as we discussed how we respond to life last week. If you remember, our complaints, remember the complaining thing? Tells you a lot about who you are. What you complain about says a lot about you. And further, our complaints will also tell us a lot about what we live for. That's just how it works. If you missed last week, it's on iTunes. This next section in the chapter in the, in the book of Luke is a natural outcome. What does the way to heaven look like? What does the other way lead to? All important questions, some of which will be answered today. So let's dive into the text and examine it. We're in Luke 13 tonight. So if you got your Bibles, which you should bring every week, we're in the Bible. Luke 13. Luke 13. If you've never been to Luke before, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if you've never taken math before, 13 comes after 12 and before 14. Okay? We're not going to cover the whole book tonight. We're going to cover Luke 13, 1 through 5, and then we're going to skip down to 22 through 30. So, if you're there, awesome. If you're not, follow along. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice and answered them, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they essentially participated in a false sacrifice to the Lord because they suffered in that way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all you will all likewise perish. What that's referring to, there was a tower accident where the tower crumbled and killed 18 people before. And if you recall anything about Jewish culture, if something bad happened to you, it was assumed that you had committed some sin and God was essentially paying you back for it. So what Jesus is saying here is like, no, they're not worse sinners. And again, you're making it all about them. And he's saying, no, I tell you. Unless you repent, you too will likewise perish. Okay? Back to 22 through 30. He went on his way through towns and villages that he is Jesus, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow doorway. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you came from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Let's pray. Father God, as we dive into the difficult conversation about eternity tonight, of about judgment, of about um, destinations, uh, Lord, I ask that we would be honest with our sin. It's the hardest thing we ever have to deal with in our life. Um, it's not necessarily uh, how to serve your kingdom, uh, but how to deny our own. 
Um, And Lord, uh, may we get a good picture of that tonight in your son's name. Amen. So in our culture, we hate the idea of hell, don't we? Mm -hmm. We hate the idea of punishment. And if we are honest, we always stick the bad people in a category just below us. Well, we're not those people. We can be honest, even as Christians, we have a difficult time talking about hell. We don't like the idea of punishment, and we surely don't like the idea of eternal punishment, something that goes on forever, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what are we to make of it? I have heard many times in the public square that Jesus is just, he's just too nice a guy to send somebody to hell. If he were really loving, how could he do that? Well, no one brings up hell more than Jesus, so he probably knows what he's talking about, right? So, we're going to attempt to answer three questions today. I've outlined them on your yak sheet. One, why judgment and punishment at all? Why judgment and punishment at all? Two, why does Jesus respond the way he does to the man with the question in verse 23? Why does Jesus respond the way he does to the man with the question in verse 23? And three, why Grace at all. So I didn't give you a lot of single bullets today. So for those of you that like free-forming notes, you're welcome. For those of you that are like, where's my bullets, AJ? I'm sorry. But there's a lot of stuff and a lot of story here. So I kind of want you to get a broader picture. And believe it or not, I'm going to teach you some uh, mind palace techniques today for remembering some things. So we're going to dive into that as well. I know. You should be excited. Yes. Anyone who's watched Sherlock, this is super exciting. <laughs> so, let's see. Don't say it out loud. Don't say it out loud. We studied evangelism last year. Mm-hmm. The book that we just studied evangelism was called Unsilenced. Mm-hmm. Okay? By, by a guy named James Picardo. I like him a lot. He's very good. Mm-hmm. So, who remembers the first question you asked? Don't, don't blurt it out. I want you to raise your hand. Who re- There's a method to my madness. Who remembers the first question you asked somebody? You what? You asked somebody to start a spiritual conversation. Okay? If you raise your hand, I will ask you to answer the question. So make sure that you, if you raise it, that's what I thought. You better be sure. Okay? Or you're going to potentially look silly. So who remembers that? So we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight out of 20. Okay? So we clearly need to, you're smart, you're like, I'm raising my hand low. Okay, so you are super confident, so I want to give you the shot because you're like, hey, that's me. Where do you think you go after you die? Boom! Everyone applaud that. I thought you were supposed to answer So that is the first question. So for the rest of you that have forgotten that, okay, we're going to build a mind palace so you can always remember it, okay? So you guys walk into this church all the time. So everyone close your eyes. I want you to envision walking into the church. Okay? You know, envision walking into the church. As you walk into the church in the foyer, there is a huge 10, 11 foot coffin sitting in the middle of the foyer. Now what color is that? Mia, give that coffin a silly color. What color should that coffin be? Yellow. Yellow. It is a yellow who wants to be buried in a yellow coffin? Let's make it vomit yellow. Okay? 
you are going to remember this because I'm putting you all these triggers on it. Okay? So you have a coffin in the middle of the foyer, and there's a huge question mark on the coffin. So that should help you remember what happens after I die. Okay? You can, yeah, you can make that. If you want the Riddler to pop out and wave at you, you can make it just like that. But the question becomes, what happens after you die? Everyone got it? And leave your mind palace, come back. Okay? For those of you that are not used to this church yet, this might be a little bit difficult because you're not used to walking in. But the foyer's there. You're thinking when you walk into the foyer, what's that first question? There's a coffin with a question mark. What happens after you die? So that's your little trigger to help you remember that question. If you remember, most people will say something happens. And we say that because that's statistics. Statistics say that most people say that something happens after you die. If you want to know what someone says if they say nothing then you can go back and listen to those series of talks on iTunes. So just search iTunes, Yak, AJ Swanson, you'll find them on evangelism. Second question you ask if they follow statistics, who remembers the second question that you ask? Taylor. Isn't it like what determines where people go? Nope, that's the third one. Okay, I got one. Why? Do you believe that there is some sort of discrimination between good people and bad people? No. <laughs> Very good though. So that's a that's a rabbit trail question. Anybody else? So go back to your mind palace. You're back in your mind palace. You're looking at that coffin. Huh? Nope. Back to your mind palace. Everyone close your eyes. You're looking at that coffin. I want you to turn to face the sanctuary like you're going in. Above the sanctuary doors are going to be put airplane like departing and arrival sign. It's a big thing above departing arrival. And it says heaven and hell. So the second question, if you remember correctly, is does everyone go to the same place? Does everyone go to the same place? So in your head, you're thinking above the sanctuary sign. You're thinking, okay, there's a departure for heaven at 1.30 and a departure for hell at 11. Okay? Does everyone go to the same place? That should help you trigger it. Okay, come back. So there's airplane ticker above the door to the sanctuary. Now, this is where people get squeamish, right? When you ask the first question, like, well, let me tell you all about my ignorance. Okay? They'll tell you what they think, because everyone's got an idea about this. No one's like, oh, I don't know, I don't care. You know, the vast majority of people, if they're honest, think they have a clue. Okay? The second question, do we all go to the same place, makes people squeamish. And I think it's because that we know the answers in our hearts, right? Yeah. But what they don't want to admit it. So if they say that it's only one place, which I get a lot of time. Well, uh, I think we all end up in the same place. I get that a lot. This is always the question I ask. Well, what about Hitler? And then this is fun because they're always like, okay, yeah, Hitler's in hell. Like everyone else, uh, everyone else has ever lived on the planet, including Genghis Khan's going to heaven. Hitler, though, no, 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 no. That guy with a little tramp mustache, he's in hell. Him and him and Satan. That's it. So they know at, the, at their hearts that there's two different places and some people deserve heaven and some people deserve hell. Now the third question, can you remind, remember the third question? You just said it. What determines why you go to either place? What determines why you go to either place? Go back to your mind palace of the church. Okay? Underneath the ticker are the doors to the sanctuary. And they're not doors. They are two airplane tickets. There are two huge airplane tickets to help you get into the sanctuary. And that should help you remember the question, what determines where you go? Does that make sense? Come back. Okay? 
So you have worked, you've worked a mental palace out, believe it or not. It'll help you remember. You'll know in a week. You'll be able to walk in. Oh, okay. First question is what, Ben? What's the first thing you see when you walk in the door? What does that say, Preston? Where do you go when you die? Perfect. So you turn left to go into the sanctuary. What's about the sanctuary doors, Sarah Ann? Departure and arrival sign. And what question does that remind you of? Boom. And then you got your third one right underneath it. There's two doors to the sanctuary that are just tickets. They're huge tickets. Uh, one is American Airlines. That's hell. <laughs> and Southwest. Southwest. Oh, no. Spirit Airlines would be heaven. Yeah. It would. Because you're going to get, get there quicker. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. It's okay. But every time you fly Spirit, just make sure you bring a good, comfortable, fold-on chair to set up. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So you got two airline tickets to kind of tell you. What's the third question, Taylor? Uh, what determines? What determines? Perfect. What determines? This is where it's going to get interesting for most. The vast majority of people will say something to the extent of good deeds versus bad deeds, right? And this, unfortunately, is the majority response within the Christian community, too. Well, it's just, I mean, what good did you do? Okay. Don't go on that tangent. Talking to myself. Okay. But what I want to focus our attention on are two things concerning these questions. These are the rabbit trails that people bring up. These are the typical rebuttals or responses. And this is it. Why does a good God have to punish at all? Why does a good God have to punish at all? Second question. Can't a God who can do anything just forgive and forget? Can't a God who can do anything just forgive and forget? First, let's clear up some misconceptions. Some of you already know this because you've gone through systematics with me. Okay? Um, First misconception by the general population is that God can do anything. While philosophically that might be the case, the way the general population defines anything, the answer is no. Can anyone answer some things that God cannot do? Go. Sin. Sin. So what can he do? Make a rock so big he can't lift it. He can't make a rock so big he can't lift it. Can't get married. Yeah. <laughs> what other? Violate his own nature. Violate his own nature. Can't lie, can't steal, can't cheat. Anything else? Okay, you got, you got it. Um, he can't make another God equal with himself. Why? Because that guy would be created and he's uncreated. Think about it. So God can only do things, Sam nailed it on the head, that are within his nature. And unfortunately, that needs to be something that's corrected with the general population when you talk to them about God. Because they've watched too many Simpsons episodes and they think, well, can God create a taco so hot that he can't microwave it? Like those type of things. Can God microwave a taco so hot that he can't eat it? You know? Um, that's a Bart Simpson reference. Um, and is goodness in his nature? Sam, is goodness in his nature? Yep. Does a good God have to punish at all? Yes. Yes. Because he has another attribute. Yes. Because that good God is also a holy God. Okay, this, these are great examples to use. 
Would you call a judge good if in the court case everything was presented that this A had raped person B? I mean, all the evidence in the world, and the judge just goes, well, okay, you're going to get off this time because I know next time you're going to do better. Would we call that a good judge? No. No. Would you call someone a bad soldier if they didn't fire back at a terrorist group? Wow. At all, or would you call somebody a good soldier if they didn't fire back at a terrorist group who had already bombed and abused three different cities? <laughs> but, instead, but instead just said, oh, that's okay. Maybe they'll do better next time. We would call someone a bad cop, not a good one, if someone had just run over someone in your family because they were looking at their cell phone instead of the road. We would call them a bad cop. They're like, okay, no, no, you're fine. Next time you'll drive better. I'm sure of it. Right? We'd call them bad. By very definition, this is your one bullet point for those of you that need it. God is a good God because he takes justice seriously. God is a good God because he takes justice seriously. Is he not? If he didn't, by our own definitions of good and bad, he would be a bad God. But he takes justice seriously. He takes sin seriously. He takes wrongdoing seriously. All the wrongs that have ever been committed against you and your family will be made right. How? By a loving, good God acting justly and holy. Hallelujah. Amen. Pastor T. Stecker says, since then, God is just. He will make none miserable farther than they deserve, since he is good. And he will both pardon and reward in such a degree as is fit. And since he is wise, what appears disorder and confusion to our short sight will appear in the end perfect, regularity and with proportion. So why judgment of all? That's the question, right? Because God is a good God and therefore takes justice seriously. Well, what about punishment? That's always the next jump. What about punishment? If you do more good things in your life, then the bad things should be offset, right? It's the weight. While this is a nice idea, none of you in this room, no atheist I have ever met, no one on the planet I know, takes this seriously. If you're on trial for having stolen from several different stores about $3,000 worth of merchandise, and just you submit into evidence... On your trial day, that you saved a busload of children from drowning in the water on the Ray, uh, River on the way here. Is the judge going to look at you and be like, you're off. No. You're good. The $3,000 worth of merch, you keep it. <laughs> no. Just because you do something good doesn't suddenly like offset and make right the wrong. Okay? It doesn't nullify sin. Girls, you meet a guy. He treats you well, pays for all your dates, is a gentleman and kind, and then you marry him, and he hits you. Do you just say, well, I need all the other stuff offset it, right? No, he hit you. There is a problem. You come talk to me, you go come talk to Patrick, we'll take care of it. I can promise you that. Okay? He will pay for his crimes. Not by paying for your dates. You all get that in life, right? You all get that in life. Just because someone does 
a good thing doesn't some okay. Now I can ignore the assault. Thank you for the ice cream. No. While the doctrine of hell is only briefly mentioned in this section, we have the doctrine of the Christian church to deal with. So, again, we're talking about punishment, and hell is eternal punishment. So this is the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 32, section 1. The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal substance, immediately return to the God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received in the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledges none. Hell is real. We have to deal with that reality. But one of the rebuttals I get from people who dislike the idea of hell is the eternal punishment part. I mean, isn't it overkill? I mean, you only sin a limited number of times, not an infinite number of times, right? This is a silly story. Most of you heard it from me, but I think it bears repeating. Because again, if I repeat things enough, then you'll remember it. I love it. Silly story. Let's say you feel really devilish one day. Okay? And you get a can of spray paint, and you spray some images... I'm not going to say what. I'll leave that up to your imagination. On your neighbor's garage door facing the street. Okay? Now, easily, okay. uh, she's a nice older lady, but you don't like the way she smells. Now, she discovers it was you who did it because you're a fool and you signed your signature underneath your artwork. So how much trouble are you going to get in by her? What? Oh, I can't believe you did it. Like, <laughs> the, the worst she could do is like not bring you cookies anymore or maybe ask you to correct it, right? Okay? Same scenario. Devilish, spray paint, fool, you left your signature. Same scenario, same house, except this time it's the homeowners association president. Okay? More trouble, same trouble, less trouble. Less. More. More. Is it the same crime? Yep. Yeah, but the authority has changed. In some homeowners associations, they can force you to sell your home and move out of the neighborhood. Okay, same scenario. Feeling devilish, hard work, yada yada. Okay? Except now, the old lady has called the police. More trouble, same trouble, or less trouble? Remember, it's the same crime. More. It has everything to do with the authority, not the quantity. Same scenario. This time the lady's called the FBI. More trouble, same trouble, or less trouble? She's got friends. She's got friends, and I You have the devilish to the wrong person. Okay? More trouble? We'd agree? Same scenario. I know you like, at this point, you're like, the lady's got to be like, this is the worst neighbor ever. Okay? Yeah. It, she calls the FBI again, but this time you come to the realization that this lady is the mother of the President of the United States. More trouble? 
Same trouble or less trouble? More trouble. Again, same crime. Same crime. But the authority of who you've offended makes the punishment greater. Same scenario. Except it's against the perfect, holy, and good Savior of the world, and you've done it to his Son. He is eternal in his attributes and perfect in his righteousness. More trouble, same trouble, or less trouble. Remember, it's the same crime. 1 Corinthians 8.12 Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So do you realize that when you sin against one another, you are sinning against the Lord? Less trouble, same trouble, more trouble. And you sin, if you're like me, against Christ every day of the week. Every waking hour. Most of the time intentionally. And consciously. And here's the other idea too. If someone's in hell, do you think they're going to suddenly stop sinning against God? They're all going to become monks? No. So in some way, yeah, it is an infinite amount of sins. Because you don't ever give up. You're wholly separated from God. And it's against the largest authority and the greatest authority and the most holy and perfect authority in the universe. The reason the two rebuttals I typically get to hell, uh, get the idea of hell are, well, why doesn't God just forgive and why is it forever? Why, Why do people ask those questions? And the reason people ask these questions is because we want things our way. We want to still commit sin, and we want to get off easy. Don't we? I mean, that's like our goal. If we commit a sin against a sibling in the household, and like we have to confess it to mom and dad, are we like embellishing it and making it larger than life? No, we're like, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, I just ate, you know, um, just a, a little bit of this chocolate bar. And they're like, what's a little bit? I mean, the whole Reese's Pieces. It's, it's, the whole Reese's Cup is little. So it is just a little bit. Was that all his? Okay, it was all of his chocolate. You know, like, that would be a problem. you know what I mean? We try to minimize things because we don't like to deal with our sin. The reason we ask those questions is because we don't want to deal with our sins. But we would like to live under the illusion that we are pretty good. And we can get our own way if we need to. That's why we almost always talk about our sin or our final destination in terms of the broader context. We're at point two. Look at verse 23, our second point. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are few be saved? And he said to them, those, those, those other people, let's talk about them. How does does the Lord answer? Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. You. Fact is. If you are like me, you rarely want to have to deal with your own sin. We would rather call it something else, blame it on biology, laugh at it, hang out with people with the same issues to make ourselves feel better, point out that it's silly, and call anyone intolerant who would point out our sin. We run from this stuff. I think philosopher, mathematician, and writer Blaise Pascal nails it right on the head when it comes to how we relate to dealing with the heavy stuff like heaven and hell, our sin. On this point, therefore, we condemn those who live without thought for the ultimate end of life, who let themselves be guided by their own inclinations and their own pleasures without reflection 
and without concern, and as if they could annihilate eternity by turning away their thought from it, think only of making themselves happy for the moment. When we don't have the destination in mind, we live under a delusion. Right? Augustine, even earlier, wrote this about the human heart. Man's love for truth is such that when he loves something which is not truth, he pretends to himself that he loves it is, is the truth. And because he hates to be proved wrong, we all hate to be proved wrong, he will not allow himself to be convinced that he is deceiving himself. So he hates the real truth for what he takes in his heart in its place. We do that all the time with our son. Not those people out there. We do. Person in the mirror. We live under the illusion. Well, that's not as bad a sin as I need to deal with. That's why people run from dealing with sin. Because it's simply too hard. We know we deserve judgment for the wrong thing we do. Which leads me to my last point. Why grace at all? Why grace at all? Why a God who steps into our place and takes our punishment? Notice this. Notice how the cross, you always got to point this out to people too. Notice how the cross didn't mean that God forgot his wrath. The cross means that he poured out his wrath onto his willing son who stood in your place. The wrath was not forgotten. It was poured out on someone else in your stead. Why grace at all? I don't got a clue. I don't know. I know if I were God, I would, couldn't willingly put my son through that wrath. Like a Stephen, I like a piper, and there's no way I could fathom putting them through hell for someone else's heaven. I just, I don't get it. Thank God I'm not God, I guess. But then again, I look at Stephen and Piper, and I know I would gladly go through hell for them to receive heaven. And then I'm reminded that my God's love for me, for no reason at all, is a greater love than my love for my own children. And I'm forced to think, my God, what wondrous love is this, oh my soul. We can make this conversation about everyone else's real easily, but I beg you to make the conversation about you today. How will you respond to a God who is just and good? Focus on the destination he invites us to. And people will come from the east and west and from the north and the south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some who first will be last. He calls you to a great and glorious kingdom. Not because of anything you've done. Because of everything he's done to keep you away from the other destination.